What uh, headlines have been dominating the news cycles into which you have been tuning into lately? Uh, maybe it's the continued missile barrages and the, the fierce ground assaults that are taking place in Ukraine and Russia. The war that's ensuing there. Maybe it's the, the civil war. It's taking place in the Democratic Republic of Congo and has intensified in violence over the last couple of weeks. Or maybe you're still hearing the reports of the total death count that's now over 50,000 people from that earthquake that struck in Turkey and Syria. Or perhaps you've heard the reports of the gunman who opened fire at a kingdom hall of Jehovah's Witnesses in Hamburg, Germany, just this past week. And now those events, all of them, they are happening to people who are very different than you and I. They are halfway around the world. They have a, a different cultures, different experiences. Some of them completely different religious faiths and convic convictions to which they hold. And yet, all of those events, they affect us. They impact us deeply, emotionally. We, we react and we respond to them. And I wonder if any of you are a little bit like me, that when you hear those kinds of things, those tragic and horrific events that take place in this world, do you ever ask the question, why? I think that's the, these acts of cruelty, these acts of tragedy, that's, that's the question they ask us, lead us to ask, right? Why? And especially because we trust in a God who is almighty and all-powerful, who watches over this world every single day, we maybe ask, why? Why does God allow that? Why doesn't God intervene uh, maybe some of you know a friend or a family member for whom that very question is the reason that they struggle or refuse to believe in the God of the Bible because of what they see in this world. Why? And I think that is the question that was likely on the minds of some Jewish people who came to Jesus and they brought up a horrific tragic, cruel event that had occurred. This would have dominated the news cycles of their day. We find out from Luke chapter 13, it says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. A horrific, cruel, tragic event would have dominated their news cycles, and yet none of any other known historians at the time, they make any specific mentions of this particular event. The reason being, more than likely, that these kinds of events were all too common in Jewish life and in that history. You know, it gives us a, a little bit different side of Pontius Pilate. We recognize how the Romans really viewed the Jewish people as lesser citizens, even lesser human beings. They, they stripped them of their human dignity and decency. Just a mob to be controlled. 
kept under wraps by these demonstrations of the power that the Romans wielded. Pilate purposely conducted a desecration of their human decency, of their religion, their ceremonies. This was an affront to God himself. They were cut down in the midst of their worship. And their place of reverence and holiness dishonored by this outsider. And so these people came to Jesus and they wanted, they wanted his perspective. They wanted his answer. Why? And when we're faced with these types of tragedies, horrible atrocities that take place, even the natural disasters, and we ask that question, we want an answer. And sometimes if we don't immediately have an apparent answer, we might concoct one. We might try to rationalize this in our own minds. We, we might try to use our reason to think what could potentially be the answer. Why might this happen? And Jesus anticipated that also. As these people talked about, thought about a brutal cruel, horrific event, evil event that was carried out by a brutal, cruel, evil person, he anticipated the thoughts that might be in their minds, and he said this, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I think sometimes, especially for those of us who believe and trust in a God of justice and a God of mercy, a God of power, a God who is able to intervene in this world, sometimes we might draw the same conclusion that Jesus knew was floating around in their hearts and their minds. These people must have deserved it. They, they must have been worse sinners. They, they must have, have done something that, that God used this event to, to punish them for. And it's easy for us to draw that kind of conclusion because it makes a comparison that, well, I kind of like. Because if they're worse people, then that means I'm a better person. But Jesus calls that comparative rationale to the carpet and he says, I tell you, no. You see, G the only comparison that Jesus is interested in us making is the comparison between us and God's own holiness and righteousness. And that leads us to a different answer to that question, why? Uh, there's an answer there, but it's really hard to swallow. Yes, the answer is that people are evil. People have a deep propensity to commit evil. Human beings throughout all of history have done exactly what we still do today. They've hurt each other, assaulted, abused one another, hated each other, and even murdered and killed each other. It's evil in the heart of an evil person who causes 
war to take place across countrysides and in cityscapes in Ukraine and the Democratic Republic of Congo. It is evil in a person's heart and mind It leads them to pick up a weapon, a gun, and carry it into a college campus in Michigan or a religious venue in Hamburg, Germany. And you have experienced pain and sadness in your own life that has been caused by the evil in another person's heart. As the answer is, there is evil. But that answer doesn't really satisfy, does it? Because that answer also convicts us. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Jesus needs you to understand that if people are evil, then, well, I am evil too. I have a propensity to commit evil. This is the truth of sin, that any deviation from God's holiness, any substandard act, indecency, lewdness, hate, bigotry, murder, anything, makes me unfit for the kingdom of Christ. Jesus needs us to recognize that and remember that Judas would have been standing there right with the rest of Jesus' disciples, hearing this conversation, hearing what Jesus was saying. You know, we might mourn the acts of hatred and bigotry that we see played out across our globe, but do we mourn the hatred and bigotry that plays out across our own hearts? We mourn when bullets cut down people in another place, but do we mourn when it is our words that cut somebody down? We mourn when one tribe, one people, they think that they are far superior to another, and so they strip them of their decency and their humanity, but do we mourn when we feel that we are far superior than our neighbors? Jesus says that there are two things he wants you to learn. When you see horrific acts, when you see tragedies, even natural disasters, there's two things that Jesus wants you to learn. The first thing that Jesus wants you to recognize is that the human problem is your problem. And it's my problem too. That there is evil in our own hearts. And our propensity to commit evil, it destroys our relationship with God. We all, like Judas, we all have betrayed our God and his goodness. And so Jesus calls for repentance, to turn back to God. Repentance is necessary in our lives. Jesus says, otherwise we too will perish. And so the second thing that Jesus wants us to recognize is that our time is short. A failure to recognize how far this evil separates us from our gods. A failure to turn in repentance back towards him results in horrific 
spiritual and eternal death. And so the headlines that really should grab our attention, the headlines that should be on our hearts and our minds every single day are the countless number of people who live as if God isn't there, who live as if God will not call them to account, who live as if God is not just because there will come a day when he will come to judge the world and they will have the life that they said they've always wanted, a life without God. And that is a truly horrific tragedy. Wow, lots of fire and brimstone today, right? But it's not just for dramatics, it's, it's not just for theatrics, it's not just so that there can be some passion and energy in my voice and in my heart, although it certainly is there. No, this is for the sake of the truth. This is for the sake of your own spiritual sobriety and clarity. And this is for the sake of God's incredible patience and grace. It's so that we can understand in the fullest measure how good God has been to us, how amazing His grace. That's why Jesus calls us to repentance, because repentance trusts in God's mercy. Repentance trusts in God's power to save. Repentance returns to God. Repentance leads us to ask a better question. Not why, but whom. When we see horrific and tragic acts in our world, repentance leads us not to ask, why did this happen? Why didn't God intervene? But to ask, to whom can I turn? To whom can I turn to save me from human evil? Jesus followed up this very deep, heavy conversation that he had with a story about a fig tree. And maybe that transition seems a little strange. Uh, but Jesus wanted to continue to emphasize the need for repentance. He wanted to continue to emphasize that time is short. And he especially wanted to emphasize God's incredible patience. God's unending mercy. And so he said this. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, he had already been incredibly patient. For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And this gardener, he gave special attention focused attention to this tree and God does the same for you and me. He focuses his attention on us. He calls out to us again and again with his grace 
and his mercy. He'll even dig around our hard, deadened hearts. He'll nourish them as he pours out his holy word, as he calls us to see his grace in that word, and he'll infuse us with new life. Here's the fruit that God wants to see. Repentance. As we turn to him to restore us, to make us clean again, to make us into a new person, a fruitful person. We turn to God so that he can drive far from our hearts the evil that is there. And remember again, Jesus was calling to Judas at this very moment. As Judas stood there and the temptations were there and the greed was forming in his heart, Jesus was calling even to him. Even to the one who would betray him and and commit that terrible act of evil, still Jesus called out to him. And still Jesus calls out to you. He calls out to you to turn to realize that the solution to the human problem of evil is God's own. It's the incredible lengths of his patience. It's the magnificent breadth of his grace. And it is the serene calm of his own peace. When we ask that question, why? Jesus was the answer to human evil. And Jesus suffered the ultimate cruelty and the ultimate atrocity for us on the cross. God will certainly uphold ultimate justice, but there on the cross, Jesus suffered for the sin and guilt, the evil and wickedness in the hearts of thousands upon thousands and millions upon millions upon millions of people who have lived in this world. Jesus took it all for us. The horrific betrayal that occurred by his own dear friend. The the condemnation of a man who was clearly innocent. These are not just horrible tragedies. They certainly are acts of evil that were perpetrated by evil people with evil in their hearts. But God transformed those acts of evil into the greatest good for you and me. And so Pilate didn't mix Jesus' blood with the blood of sacrifices like he did with those Galileans, but Jesus' blood was the very final, ultimate sacrifice made for us. And the weight that crushed him wasn't the weight of bricks or stone or concrete. It was the weight of the sin and guilt of this entire world as he carried that for us. And so on the cross, God's answers abound. Why would God let his one and only dearly beloved son go through that fate? Why wouldn't God intervene when one of his friends was going to betray him, when those chief priests and those elders and the teachers of the law were going to try to get him convicted and crucified? Why wouldn't God stop Pontius Pilate? Because he loved you. Because he wanted to forgive you. Because he wanted to erase your betrayal. He wanted to draw you back to himself. And he wanted to give you a beautiful new life now and forever. And so the cross, it is not a pointless tragedy. 
Rather, it is God's own work. The evil was yours and mine, and Jesus was innocent, but he also was our Savior. And so on that wood that was cut from a tree, on that dead wood, as Jesus hung there, it was the best, most beautiful, heavy with fruit tree, the tree of life itself, Jesus, our Savior, who was cut down in our place and so that we might live forever. And whether we reject him or realize what he has done for not, he was there on the cross for perpetrators of violence and evil and crime. He was there for you and for me. Think about what what would the headlines have read in Israel at that time when Judas betrayed Jesus, when he was condemned to death? Maybe rising, self-appointed Messiah, leading religious sect, handed over to Jewish authorities by patriotic member of Inner Sanctum. Or maybe chief governor of the Palestinian region squashes revolution threats through crucifixion sentence. The true headline is this. God of the entire universe sacrificially dies for evil men and women. And that headline is the greatest good news for you and me. Amen.